The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. There came a sound from heaven, a mighty rushing wind. It filled their hearts with Bible is the second Samuel chapter 12 verse 8. Actually I'm doing somewhat of a topical message, less, less expository this morning, but it is on the topic of the power of discontentment. Now let me explain a little something about discontentment. People have argued with me through the years that, that you need to be discontented in order to progress. Now I'm not talking about that kind of discontentment, okay? I realized that Edison would have never spent thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours testing different filaments to eventually come across the light bulb if he had been content with oil lamps. So discontentment will drive you to progress. But I'm not, this, this, the whole message this morning is not talking about that kind of dis. It's not talking about what I would call healthy discontentment. The Wright brothers would have never invented the airplane had they been content with walking, riding a bicycle, or whatever mode of transportation was available for them. But that discontentment drove them to progress. But that's not what, there is a, there is a destructive type of discontentment. And that's what I want to focus on for a few minutes this morning. Because I see it everywhere, and we are prone to be discontented in a very negative way. And it is extremely destructive. I'm going to go, let me read, I'm going to give you three examples of the devastation of discontentment. And then hopefully in a few minutes at the end, make an application to help you walk out of here with something for God. Let me start out with a word of prayer. Father, help us. May this... Uh, May this uh, be supernatural here this morning. The Bible says it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I believe that you work through preaching somehow and that you don't work through anything else the way you work through preaching. The preached word. And though the world looks at it like foolishness and craziness, yet you've chosen this to be the method and the mode mainly to get the word out and to help people. We pray that we'd be open of heart this morning. We'd not sit there hard-hearted, not sit there angry, not sit there uh, mockingly or scorningly, but that we'd, be, we'd sit there with an open heart and open mind and say, God, come, show me today. We all have blind spots. We, the Bible says every man's right in his own eyes. We, we, we cannot see our faults. Help us to see our faults. Help us to see our weaknesses this morning. Indeed, to overcome this area of, of destructive discontentment. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you are Bible schooled enough to know about the book of Genesis and know the, the creation of Adam and Eve and everything and what went on there in the garden and how she fell. And I'm, I suppose I'm in some degree this morning going to assume you know something about that. 
I apologize if you're brand new and have no idea, never read Genesis. You may struggle a little bit, but before it's all over, you'll have something to take home. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, in the garden it said, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, I like gardens. I like flowers. I especially like flowers. I especially like uh, the beauty of the creation that God has made. I don't think I think that's deep in you because the place that that God wanted to put his his brand new creation man, he put him in a garden. He put him in a garden. Uh, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Turn me down just a little bit. Does it seem like I'm echoing a little bit here this morning to you? Know you feel good about it? Who was that? Who said that? I like that. Was that you, Sandy? No, you should have said something. Well, I can't hear myself. Make sure the foldbacks are not on. Okay. And he, and he planted these trees, and they were pleasant to the sight. Flowers, visual. And they were good for food. Profitable for the eating. That's good. And the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, tree of knowledge, good and evil. Okay, those things. And, and then in verse 16, I'll skip down there. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. And of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And then going to chapter 3, verse 6. And when, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, then it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree uh, to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave it unto her husband with her, and he did eat. This is the first mention in the Bible of an upside-down house. What is an upside-down house? That's when women lead it. You notice a sign out front says male leadership. That's because that's Bible. You say, are men better than women? No. We are different. And all women said, come on, we don't like things you like. We don't like, I mean, we're so different. We're so different, but we've, we've men been made to lead. It is given to us from God, and it's ingrained in us from God to lead. We have the gifts to lead. The women do not. They don't have that. There is something missing from them that, that he gave to man. That makes sense to me because throughout the Bible, from Genesis to the Revelation, it's a man's world. Me and James Brown, the only two people probably said that. All the way back to the beginning, mankind has been weak in this area I'm going to discuss this morning, the area of discontentment. Adam and Eve had all the fruit trees in the garden. They were all beautiful. They had pink grapefruit. They had ruby red grapefruit. They had white grapefruit. They had mandarin oranges. They had Chinese honey uh, tangerines. Woo, those were some of the best. They had Valencias. They had navels. They had cherries that would, while well, we used to have a cherry tree in Elkhart, Indiana, where I was born, that would get, it was black cherries, and it would get so full of cherries that the limbs would break off. 
you had to prop the limbs up. The thing would literally breed itself to its own destruction. They had pears that melted in your mouth. Tom and I were traveling through Missouri somewhere, and we stopped. We saw an old boy uh, and, a, and, a, and his wife uh, under their pear trees picking up pears off the ground, and Tom and I on a motorcycle. And the beautiful thing about motorcycles, you just pull over there. We jumped off there and went on that old boy. And I remember Tom's a little funny about germs. I don't know if you know that. Tom's a little funny about germs. And I remember that old boy. Uh, we, I don't know whether Tom said it or I said it. I said, how are them pears? And he took an old knife, pocket knife out of his pocket. He whipped that baby open. Who knows where it's been? And he took him a slice of that. And when a prayer's ripe, the juice just starts running down the guy's hand. You know what I mean? The juice just, and he gave it to Tom. I just wanted to see whether Tom was going to eat that thing. He gave that, and Tom ate that thing. I ate one of them, and it's one of them that the juice almost runs down your face. I mean, it was the best pear I ever had in my life. Tree ripened pear. They had pear. They had peaches. They had apricots. They had walnuts. They had apples. They had plums. They had bananas. They had Baptist mangoes, which are the best mangoes. They had them all, you name it, in the garden. They had everything. And it was free. You got all these orchids. And and by the way, that list was a small list. I didn't want to take any more time, but the list of trees that were potential for them to have in the garden, come on, will be literally probably about 100 different fruit trees. And so they had all of them, and they were not only were they just fit, they were great. They were the best. Now, wouldn't you think that would be enough? Wouldn't you think? This is before the fall. I want you, sometimes we blame our evil nature too much. We say, oh, it's, I got evil nature. That's what, really? Or do you just have a nature? Because this was before the fall, and he said, look, I'm going to put two trees in there, one especially, the tree of good knowledge of good and evil. I don't want you to eat of that. And that's what happened. They sold their happiness, their security, their fellowship, their relationship, their innocency, their comfort, their occupation, everything for what was not theirs. Why? Discontented. They were discontented with what God gave them. And some of you this morning are discontented with what God gave you. And it's going to lead you to the same ruin that it led Adam and Eve, if you're not careful. And that's why you got to listen to this this morning. This is as pure Bible as I know to get. But the sin in the garden was rooted in a sense of discontentment, a sense of, the, there's, a, there's a King James word I love to use, concupiscence. It is desiring that which has been forbidden. If I tell you that uh, I don't like something, you'll want to go get it just because I don't like it. You know, if, I mean, it's almost, there's something in us that just wants to do, so, it's forbidden. Don't do it. Stop. It's almost like sick him to a dog. God, put that tree there. Why? Because all God's tests are real. 
It wouldn't have been a real test of where man, whether man loved God if he had not put that tree there. If he had no option to sin, it would not ever be a test. But love has got to be voluntary. And it can't be voluntary if there's no choice. And so he gave him a choice. So love's consequently was whether you do you love me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, Jesus said. And it's the same in the garden. If, you lo- if they loved God, they would have simply stayed away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they would have enjoyed everything else. But look what happened to them. They focused. This is the key. They focused on the one thing they couldn't have. Boy, have I seen kids do that. I've seen kids that got all kinds of blessings on their right hand, blessings on their left hand. They, first of all, let me just say this this morning. If you can see me, you're blessed. If you can hear me, brother, brother Bobby, if you can hear me, you're blessed. If you can walk like this, you're blessed. If your heart's beating normal, you're blessed. But what we'll do is we'll focus on, now look, if you started listing the good things God's put your way, it would be a big list, right? But we don't do that, do we? We list that short list. I call that list that you didn't get quite what you wanted, how you wanted, when you wanted, like, you know, the color you wanted, da, 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 da. And I'm not going to be happy till I get my way. Let's go to the second example. This is around our text verse here. Uh, the second one was uh, about David. Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm going to skip around a little bit there for time's sake because I'm assuming you know the story a little bit about David and Bathsheba. You know, David was a great man of God. He had a heart, a man, uh, uh, he was a man after God's own heart. He slew a giant early in his life that nobody else would take on. He took him on, God delivered him, and slew Goliath. But you know, most people don't know David because of Goliath. The Bible mentions more often David and Bathsheba. And look in verse 11. It came to pass that after a year was expired at the time when kings would go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, that they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. It came to pass at eventide, you know, at that time just you know, still a little bit light still. David rose from his bed. That makes sense. He was already going to bed. The chickens go to bed at dark. We just don't know better. And he walked upon the roof of the king's house. King's house is taller than the rest of the houses around him. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. She was a head-turner, ten knockout. And David sent and inquired after the woman and said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, a wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, Uriah the Hittite was listed in the 30 great men of David. He's one of the 30 great men of David. He wasn't just anybody. Well, it makes sense. He's living right by the palace. He's living right by the palace. Not just everybody gets to live around the king's house, okay? So he's, in a, he, God's, he's already been promoted. He's already been given good things. He's living right by side the king's house. He's listed in one of the 30 great men of David. And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her. And she was purified from her uncleanness, and 
For she was purified for her unclean, she returned to her house. And the woman conceived and sent unt- and told David, I am with child. That took a little while. David, well, look at our text first. Second Samuel 12.8, just one chapter over. Let's read verse 7. Nathan comes in a year later, almost a year later. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. For you that aren't familiar with the Bible, there Nathan comes in and kind of tells a parable, you know. There's this poor man, a rich man. The poor man's got one little ewe lamb raised. And I appreciate this because I got a little pig that I raised from a baby. And she's, she's my baby. And let's say, uh, uh, and, and this guy that had a, lot of, had a lot of riches and had all kinds of sheep and all, all kinds of things. This one, this one poor guy just has one little ewe lamb. It was like a child to him. And this rich man has some company coming in and he sends his people over to this poor man, took the ewe lamb, killed it, and ate it for his guests. Now, 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 David's wrath was kindled, buddy. Ooh, he said, this guy ought to die for this. And Nathan was a Baptist preacher. Because he took that long, convicting finger, and he pointed it at David in front of all his cabinet, and said, thou art the man. David judged himself. And then look at the verse in verse 8, I think it's key. And I gave, and, and, and I gave thee thy master's house, that was Saul, and thy master's wives into thy bosom. And I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And, and here's, a, here's a sad statement, this next one. And if that had been too little, I would have moreover have given unto thee such and such things. David sold his happiness, his security, his fellowship, his relationship, his conscience, his comfort, his occupation, everything for what was not his, discontentment. He had everything a man could dream about. He was the supreme leader of this group, this whole nation called Israel, a few million people. He, he had all the riches a man could want. He had all the gold or silver. He had all the chariots. He owned a Ford, a Chevy, and a Dodge. He wouldn't own a Toyota because that was Japanese. But he, he, had, he had wives, most beautiful wives. Palace. Honestly. I hate to say it, but what else in the world would you want to put on that list? He said, God said, look, and I just love the heart of God there. David, he said, if, if that had been too little, I would, have, I, would have, I would have helped you with more. What you had to have another man's wife? Uriah had... One wife, the little ewe lamb. He was the rich man with all these other things. What started it? David was discontented. Let me just tell you this. If you don't keep yourself contented with God and contented with the things of God and contented with what God has given you and 
what you look like. Be contented, first of all, with what you look like. Yo, I mean, really. Now, look, I'm not saying don't paint the barn. But don't be going down and having a bunch of plastic surgery and looking like some zombie. Fat lips and 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 why well, some of these people was scary on Halloween. Now oh, you want to brush your teeth? I'm for it. You want to get your teeth fixed? I'm for it. I'm not. I'm not crazy, but I'm just saying. First of all, in your life, how about just saying God made me this way? I got big nose. I got. I got whatever. Just, I am what I am by the grace of God. That would be a good starting moment and place. And then you just work your way out. God's made me with this amount of intelligence. I don't have the intelligence of a Dr. Gillespie. I don't have the intelligence of a Dr. Crabb. I don't have the intelligence of a lot of people. And everybody said? But I mean, you know, I just have what I have. When God called me to preach, I said, Lord, you must be surely making a mistake. God don't make mistakes. Where God guides, he does provide. And God calls people, he equips them, but you know, you're not going to have everything. You're not going to have what the other guy has. You're not going to have what the other girl has. You have what you have. And listen, we men, we men are some of the worst in this area because we'll marry a woman and, and she'll be young. And most, most times you do marry their young, amen? Now, I know I've seen people in this church get married 80 years old. Well, then you take the wrinkles right then. But I mean, when you marry, I married my little woman. She was 18 years old, skin tight, beautiful. I'm, I'm not trying to dig a hole for myself here. But what I'm saying is, as years have passed, we have changed. And we need to accept what God has given us as the best that God has for us and keep it. Because if you don't, all hell is going to break loose on you. You don't know trouble till you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Adam. You don't know trouble, David, until you take that woman Bathsheba into your bedroom and have sex with her. You've never known trouble, David, till you do that when you see Amnon killed and Tamar raped and Absalom killed and all these other tragedies come into your home. You don't know what's coming your way when you step outside of the will of God. It'll get your kids and your grandkids Yes, see, it's a wave. The third example I have is in 1 Kings chapter 12, chapter 21. 1 Kings 21.1. I want to talk a little bit about one of my favorite women in the Bible, Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel, chapter 21.1. 1 Kings 21.1. It came to pass after these things, that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by, close, or hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So this, this, this uh, 
this vineyard, which takes a while to grow, you know. I mean, it takes years and years to, to get beautiful, and he had it that way, right close to the palace of Ahab. And, and Ahab spake to Naboth and said, Give me this vineyard that I may have it for a garden of herbs, and because it's near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. And if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Oh, fair enough. Trouble is, there's some things money can't buy. I mean, this man had labored. He had taken the rocks out of the soil. He had stacked them up for walls around the thing, uh, like they did up there in Wisconsin, all over the place where they got rock walls. Where those come out of the field when they hit them in the spring. When they come up, they hit them, and they got to take them to make. It. They make all their stuff up. It's amazing, pretty much. When I look at that, I want to cry. How much work it took. And this old Naboth that he had labored and labored and labored, and he had this vineyard. It wasn't just a deal of, oh, this vineyard for that vineyard. This was his home. This was his, he had blood, sweat, and tear in this thing, and this was his inheritance from God. And Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Makes sense. And Ahab came into the house heavy and displeased, coochie lip. Because the word with Naboth, the Jezreelite, has spoken unto him. For he said, I will not give the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would not eat, eat no bread. Verse 8, Jezebel saw it. And as any wicked woman would do, she incited him to do more wicked. So she wrote letters to Ahab's name and sealed them with a seal and sent letters unto the elders and nobles who were in his city and dwelling, dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letter, saying, proclaim a fast and set Naboth high among the people. Verse 15, chapter 21. Came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned. Because what happened was, she basically paid some bad boys to falsely accuse him. They took him out, stoned him. And by the way, they stoned his family too. Because she told Ahab, you're the king. Nobody can stop you from having anything. Why, you, you let me take care of it. I'll get you that. I'll get you that vineyard. So she hired people to falsely accuse Naboth, and, and they stoned him. And later on, we find another place that they actually stoned him and his children. Wow. She is as cold-blooded a woman as you're going to find. And then in verse 15, and it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money, thee for money, and for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go into the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Why? Because he was not content with what he had. He caused the absolute horrible, horrible desecration and murder of an innocent man, Naboth, and his family. A crime which cost him eventually his life. And the prophet came and told him, they're going to lick your blood out of the chariot and your wife's going to be eaten by dogs uh, in Jezreel, and she was, and it all happened some 20 years down the road. I showed you three short but, but 
fairly famous examples of discontentment in what God has given you. The grass has been said proverb, pro, the proverbially, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Amen. Have you ever seen cows? Have you ever seen horses out stretching through a fence? And it just seems like they would rather eat the grass on one side, the other side of the fence they're not supposed to get on. Uh, the sin in the garden had to do with discontentment. The sin at the housetop from David had to do with discontentment. The sin of Ahab and Jezreel had to do with discontentment. No wonder. No wonder the Holy Spirit in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, but godliness with contentment is what? Great gain, not little gain, great gain. I think we take, I think we take too lightly. I think we, we, we minimize the importance of being content whatsoever things you have. Paul said, I've learned to be content. That means you can change from what you are today, which maybe be discontented, to contented. You can literally move from discontented to contented. You're not stuck with being discontented. It's simply a choice you make. I am going to be contented. Years ago, I said to, I said to God and myself and to my wife, I am going to be contented with you. When your hair gets thin and begins to fall out and get bald spots, I'm going to be contented with you. When you gain 30, 40 pounds in the middle, I'm going to be contented with you. Now, she hasn't done that all that. I just thought that may happen. No, I just said if she, if she has trouble, if she has struggles, if I am going to, because it's a bond and it's a decision and it's God's will. And I'm just going to be contented by the grace of God. If I get gray hair, I'm going to be contented. If my teeth fall out, I'm going to be contented. Whatever happens. And you know what? You're almost untouchable when that happens. Because one of the devil's main tools for getting to you and me and for hurting us, by the way, who punishes us when we disobey God's will? Who punishes us? The devil? No. God punishes us. Our Father. Our Savior. He's the one that's got to punish us. When, when the devil tempts you to be discontented, you go ahead and do it. Then he, the devil steps back and says, well, God, I, I suppose you're just. I suppose that you, you, are, you are, are going to enforce the, the, the reality of, of justice. And so you better go down there and whip him because look what he did. I've been tempted. You've been tempted. You get you, you. The devil's come by and said, "What you got's not good enough, but what's down the road's better." He's come by. You know, someday if you'll follow the will of God, you're going to get to eat of one of those forbidden trees. It says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh will I give the eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Well, won't it be a great day? By the grace of God, through the salvation of Jesus Christ, and simple childlike faith, believing in Him, and trusting in Him to save us. The Bible says we're made a child of God. Our name's put down put down in the Lamb's Book of Life, we become a joint heir with Christ. And someday when we when we pass from this life to the next, he's going to, and by the way, I think, I think this is going to be in a group thing, but we're going to be able, there's going to be the tree of life. And he said, what was forbidden to Adam and Eve? 
Because you've trusted my son and had your sins forgiven, the father's going to say, go, go ahead and have it. Go ahead and have that fruit. Eat of the tree of life. And we get to eat. We get to drink of the water, of living, the living waters too. For those who obey, ultimately the prize is worth it. I can guarantee it. Have you ever been disappointed in this life? I mean, have you ever been tempted to do something you thought was going to be so good, it's the best thing you ever had, and you did it, and goes, man, it wasn't all that good? That's typical, amen? That's typical of the devil. He'll tempt you. He'll say, oh, he'll say to us, man, uh, that, that woman over there would be a lot better than the one you got, and you'll get her, and she'll be the devil from hell. She'll, make, she'll rip you, gut you, and leave you quivering on the side of the road. Don't do it. Don't do it. Proverbs 6.32 says, Whosoever committeth adultery with the woman lacketh understanding, he destroyeth his own soul. A wound and dishonor shall he get, and his reproach shall not be wiped away. In Proverbs 7.26, For she has cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is, is the way to hell, there's a song the rockers came up with called Highway to Hell. Probably none of you know that song. But the house of immor- the, 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 the woman that's in the head of the house of immorality, it goes down to hell. To the chambers, the Bible says, of death. You've been tempted, I've been tempted, and I will be tempted in the future. But let me say this. The Bible says in James 4, 7, if you submit yourself to God, you still have to resist the devil. You submit yourself to God, you still have to resist the devil. You say, but I gave my heart to Christ. Why am I? Because you're being tested to whether it's real or not. Remember, God's into real tests. He's not into making it where you can't. He's He's going to give you options to find out who you are. And so, he says, you submit yourself to God. Okay, I've been saved. I trust God. I want to do his will. But then the test will come. Resist the devil. When the, when the old devil's come by me through the years, and he's come by many, many times to try to cause me to be immoral in one way or another, all I do is, is go back and say, what God's given me is enough. What God, has, what God has provided for me is enough. Why do I know that? Because God's good. And I'm going to be contented with it. It's a decision. It's a decision. Submitting to God, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. He'll, let, he'll leave you alone. He comes back once in a while to see if you're still there. But, but he'll leave you alone for the most part. But if he sees a crack in your armor, if he sees you, girl walking by, and you eyeballing her, don't you think he's looking? He said, ooh, he's getting, he's getting vulnerable. And this goes for women too, by the way. Any immorality, any, any discontentedness, can happen. Any discontentedness. People move their jobs, they move their husbands, they move their wives, they move their churches, they move their houses. They just keep moving, move, move, move. I got, I got, I just went crazy when, when uh, President Obama ran for office about eight years ago, and he had on his uh, slogan, "Change." That's it. He had one word, "Change," and I'm looking at my wife, going, "Well, that." That shouldn't really do him much good. Because what are we going to change to? We're going to get better? 
We're the greatest nation in the entire face of the earth in every category. Change? Well, you've seen what's happened in eight years, haven't you? We're changing all right. Changing. And what happens, there is a sea, you know what, I hate to say it, but that slogan propelled him into the presidency. How? People like change just for change sake. They're leaving the King James Bible. There's no good reason for you to leave this Bible right here. There's just no good. I've argued it. I've read it. You can't come to me with anything I haven't heard before and looked over. And and I can tell you, after all of that, there's no good reason to leave the King James Bible. If you don't believe it, you just talk to Cassie Phillips. She is a, she's got a, that woman can preach me. Why are they why is why are there 235 different versions of the New Testament in English? Why? Change. It's just change for change's sake. And it has to do with change that jingles in your pocket too. This is not copyrighted. You can copy this, print this for absolutely free. Folks, be content. Move not the ancient landmarks your forefathers have seen. Stick with the good things that God has given with you. And when the old devil comes by and the wind of change comes by and you want to wander, and the song says it, doesn't it? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Doesn't it say? And then we do have that. But brother, fight it by the grace of God. Go to your knees and say, Jesus, in, in your name and by the sake of for your son and the blood of Jesus Christ, help me to be content with such things as I have. Father, help us this morning. Help us to get it. Explain it like I could not. The marriages among Christians, among Bar- the Barna survey among Christians are failing some six out of ten times. There is no excuse for that. We've got everything we need to succeed. We've got the book with instructions on how to, how to be happily married for 60, 70 years. but they're not being applied. God help us to apply it. God help us to get it. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Then you would raise us up. Save us from the Delilahs, the Jezebels. That smell good and look good. That are full of dead men's bones. Father, help us. Be pure in heart, pure in spirit. There are people here that are, oh my, you know, they, they're on the edge of making stupid decisions that are going to defect their children and their children's children and their children's children children. It's just too big. It's too high a price. God help us. Help us to stand having done all this stand. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about Jesus and the subject preached on, please contact us at gospel at mygbcs.com or call us at 239-947-1285. God bless.